Welcome back to Sepsis Voices with Dr. Ron. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Daniels, and I'm delighted before we start to share that we've seen phenomenal take up of our World Sepsis Day bundle from healthcare organisations. We've had over 800 sign-ups, including staff representing more than 300 hospitals. That's fantastic. Really going to make a big splash this World Sepsis Day. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tom Ashfield, who's a GP and also Senior Medical Advisor at Pfizer UK. Ahead of World Sepsis Day on 13th of September, as ever, we're going to be discussing the ways in which the healthcare sector can work together to improve patient outcomes from sepsis, as well as raising awareness of the threat of antimicrobial resistance, which we're going to call AMR. Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. Oh, many thanks, Ron. As a disclaimer and preface for this episode, my name is Tom Ashfield and I'm an employee of Pfizer UK. My contributions today in this episode reflect the work of Pfizer within AMR or antimicrobial resistance and my own experience as a doctor. Pfizer UK have not funded this episode, but they have undertaken final content approval of its output. It's great to join you today, Ron, and um, also great news for the Sepsis Trust and the uptake of the bundles. Absolutely. And, and this is all about raising awareness. And we're going to focus on the impact of AMR on our patients, the impact on healthcare systems and those trying to improve healthcare systems, as well as how we can get that message across the public. So antimicrobial resistance is a mechanism by which we're going to talk mostly about bacteria, but really it can be any pathogen. So it can be a, a parasite or a fungus can become resistant to the drugs that we use to try to stop them. So this is about microorganisms that are pathogenic. That means they cause disease. We have drugs available. Let's, for the sake of simplicity, call them antibiotics to treat those diseases. But if antimicrobial resistance is present, then we're not going to be very effective. Now, we have a stance on this. I'm an intensive care doctor by background, as some of you will know, and I would suggest that antimicrobial resistance in and of itself does not cause patients to die. What causes patients to die is untreatable infection. And in the majority of cases, this will give rise to sepsis. And that's what we're going to try to, to really talk about today. So, Tom, if you could give listeners one message about sepsis or AMR or even both together, what would it be and why? Thanks, Ron. I think it's really important that we've arrived at this early in our discussion because AMR, or antimicrobial resistance, is a difficult term to understand and digest. What's certainly clear in linking AMR, severe infection and sepsis together is timing, so timing to get the best intervention, as that's a real key determinant of the outcome. I'm now going to break that AMR term down according to the World Health Organization's definition, and they state it's when bacteria, viruses, fungi and parasites, now these, we sometimes use the terms microorganisms, sometimes use the term pathogen, sometimes use germs or bugs, and that can be difficult in itself. They then go on to state that they change over time and no longer respond to medicines. So this is something that happens over time and that's something that we observe. The medicines that they may not respond to now are 
antibiotics, sometimes called antibacterials, antivirals, or antifungals. And then they further state, this makes infections harder to treat and increases the risk of disease spread, severe illness and death. So disease spread, we need to think about these as communicable diseases. They can be passed on to others and in populations. Severe illness, that may represent sepsis. Other infections that people hear of or modes of infection are urinary tract infection, pneumonia or abdominal infection. And so this really is a key issue and we, we must do more to help people's understanding so that we can really empower everybody. Now, coming back to this timing issue, the time to get to the appropriate management or intervention is, is just so key. And there's a myriad of factors that, that are involved here. One of those is awareness and education. So how much do people understand? And that's across, the, across society and in healthcare systems, what infrastructure and resources available the location and geography of the of the healthcare trust and the and the, and the patient, because this might impact the the type of uh, of organism that's there and what resistance pattern it has. And this all relates to data. So how much do we understand from the past and from the present to really integrate and give the correct treatment? And then empowering the patient, as I've as I've stated earlier is so, so key here. We must also identify particular groups at risk of infection, those with suppressed immune systems, and this includes people on chemotherapy, because they're certainly at much higher risk of infection. Now, we worked directly with patients on a project at Pfizer called the Patient Shield Project, and we asked patients how AMR affected them and what their experience was. And one of the key things here is is communication. They, they often didn't know what had happened, what treatments they were given, which treatments didn't work. And that, that really is so important to empower people for the future within this. Absolutely. And those, those other types of pathogen or disease causing organisms are often forgotten in these discussions. And I just sort of respond to it to a couple of your points there. I think you know, you, you mentioned awareness and, and I have a sort of slight prejudice that we're not very good at telling patients when they've had an infection with an organism that's resistant to antibiotics, when they've been in many ways the victim of AMR. And I'm sure we can improve on that. But uh, the, the other one you will know of through our work in the Infection Management Coalition, which we will come on to, and this is around the fact that the the science, the technological development of point of care or near patient diagnostics in terms of identifying these bugs and their resistance patterns is accelerating at a much greater rate than we can integrate them into clinical systems. And we've got to get a lot better in that. So uh, from your perspective, how aware do you think our public are about AMR? And, you know, do you think there's even a need to raise awareness among health professionals, including GPs like you? Yeah. Okay. So I see this from a number of uh, number of areas with my with my roles in in primary care and also thinking about my role in industry. Um, I think about this across across the the scale. Probably a, a far too much of my life. I think about this, but it's um, it's really important that people are aware. And I would say in my own practice and in the sphere of practice that I work in, 
I have noticed that patients have become a lot more aware. However, when we think about antibiotics, I think that generally we first think about the prescriptions that are used in general practice and primary care. So those that are used to treat um, sore throats or chest infections. But we really must open that messaging up to realise that these are key medicines that are keeping people alive in hospital settings, in in areas that, that don't relate to this. So that's the thing that I think is, is missing from the awareness uh, sometimes. And the, 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 the real importance of preserving their their um their action is is that too because when we are giving these in in primary care or wherever in in large quantities if that happens well, then we're going to have an impact across the whole system because it's a public health issue now because it's it's a a wide-scale public health issue that too can make it difficult for the pa individual patient to really understand what their risk is so I really take note of how you've said it's important that we start making sure the patient knows that they had an infection. So the mode of infection, did they have a pneumonia? What kind of bug caused it? What antibacterials were used to treat it? And were there any resistance um, problems with it? So were there any antibacterials that couldn't be used because there was resistance found? Now, I'd say that in terms of the the GP sphere and health healthcare professional sphere. In the UK, we're, we're quite lucky because we've had a lot of initiatives um, from NHS agencies and, and other bodies where there's 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 been really good effective training. And one of these is the Target initi initiative, which was um, uh, an initiative for primary care doctors. And what needs to, to happen is, is we must take that knowledge and use that at the individual patient level so that we inform our systems and the care that we give that we don't just that we don't just really um just sig just virtue signal this that we actually take action and make changes so i think really tying everything together bringing the information to an effective conclusion and then feeding it back into the public health system so that we know what's happening um will really help so it's 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 a really a civic responsibility um, just like many things are in healthcare, health and social care. But I, I think we are missing part of that at the moment because it's hard to relate for the individual patient. So there is still some work to be done. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Tom. I think this is so, to many, it's such a, a nebulous concept, isn't it, AMR? And, and they, they, no one's really been told what individual steps they can take to, to make a material difference. And, and I think we need to improve on that situation. Um, so uh, we sort of agreed, or at least I stated at the beginning, that you know, AMR per se does not cause death. It's untreatable infection. And the WHO in, in 2017 um, agreed that sepsis is the final common pathway to death from the majority of infectious diseases worldwide. So if we sort of take that ever so slight leap to say, well, sepsis is going to be the mode of death for a majority of patients harmed by AMR. I think we just need a, a slight segue on, on sepsis. And, you know, you've said to me informally and, and, and socially before about how you noticed sepsis awareness and training coming to the fore. Could, could you tell a, a little bit about this and how it impacted on your practice as a GP? 
Yeah, certainly. So my background is I, I started as a pharmacist. And so I started learning about bugs and, and, and the antibiotics very early in my life before I even started to see them used, really. And that, that's what I understood. And then I, I went on to study medicine. And eventually I was training in, in East London. And this was around 2010, 2011. And at this point, there was a huge push in the world um, related to much of your work to, for us to really change how we were doing things because it, the, the, the time factor, as I stated earlier, is the critical issue here. How we respond and identify is, is the key factor in, in a patient's survival. So certainly, in terms of what the UK Sepsis Trust to just trust has done to distill that has been has been quite incredible really it's impacted on my own training and i and i use it as part of my own continuing professional development now the, the i remember working in the in the emergency department in east london and and how suddenly our practice changed quite significantly how we we attended to the sepsis six these um six key actions that we must take and that really embedded so well across the healthcare system i noticed a sea change and like nothing else before actually or perhaps since um so it really did impact the system um what is key to any systems change is maintaining that behavioral behavioral um uh, change for the future as well and embedding it within our practice so I think there's always a need for us to keep revisiting that and, and ensure that we're doing it in all sectors because um, now I also work as a as a telemedicine doctor so I see patients at distance and this could include seeing a patient without a thermometer so they may well have symptoms of infection but it's it can be very difficult to know what what's really going on but knowing the the possible outcomes really helps me so i know what my boundaries are for my practice and what what i do need to fulfill to make that patient safe and get them to the right place of, of care thanks so much tom and and if listeners weren't aware the sepsis 6 was a a bundle of care developed by the uk sepsis trust in fact before the uk sepsis trust existed my team and i developed that and we are so proud of it i, I think it's it's worked because it's simple and it empowers often junior staff who are facing the patients um and it, it's now you know we're astonished to keep learning the new countries that it's spread to it's now in 40 countries around the world including the four uk countries so so it is incredible now indeed and as a, as a GP, you, you must have seen, and, and we hear about it in the in the sort of mainstream media and, and in other sources, but we know that the way GPs have practiced has changed significantly over recent years, and particularly in terms of time pressures, expectations on patients. How, how do you think that's impacted on pressures to prescribe antimicrobials responsibly? And has there been any additional impact of the pandemic on these these pressures? Yeah, certainly. This this is a this is a very important question to raise here, Ron. Um, we have seen a complete change in how we see patients now. Um, and I think back to when I was first training in general practice under ten years ago. And in some practice, you will all of the patients will turn up, you know, to be seen, and and the, the waiting room may be full of all these pa patients waiting to be seen. And what that gave is, a, is a, an ability to observe and interact and go to the waiting room. And so you could really triage in a, in a very human way. 
and I've certainly got experiences there where I where I've been to the waiting room and seen a patient that that certainly was at risk of sepsis and and intervened. So since then, um, and across different um, practices, things have really changed, and that might might be different in different geographies as well. Now, as I work from the in a telemedicine sphere, I'm seeing things from a different angle. However, I can understand from the patient's perspective how this is one brought the the consultation to their living room, so that's a real advantage. And and for that, they can really um, there's there's many other things that I've learned to to observe and how I can interact online to to understand the risk to them or their family. And also to empower patients. For example, the 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 Healthier Together um, resource uh, from the NHS, which is wonderful, and it empowers the patients and their carers to to understand what infection is and 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 what they need to do. But then another difficult issue is the fact that we don't have thermometers or our or our monitoring equipment in in the patient's hands, and that that does cause an issue. As I mentioned already, if I don't have a temperature to to really help my decision making that is that is a key thing for me um, you can do some things remotely you can try and get a patient to take their pulse sometimes people have blood pressure monitors um, but really it, it's difficult so we need to meet the meet this space very much um, it, as soon as possible really to to ad advance what technologies we have for remote monitoring and also empowering patients with the knowledge and the confidence of systems so that they can get the right care. Because I certainly think that once we get those two things in place, our, our confidence in our decision making and also the patient at the end of this decision will feel a lot, feel a lot more informed. And, and as people become more informed across any healthcare um, issue, that, that news spreads. People spread the the um, the good knowledge of how to respond to these things, and that's what we need to get to as a sort of a civic responsibility, which is exactly what we saw in the pandemic. Coming round to this 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 um, aspect of the question, people understood um, what risk was, and they took it into their own hands of how to how to actually monitor that, and understand if they were suffering from uh, an infection. So. I think these things together I mean it's been a very very tough time for all for everybody involved but there are things to to glean on and really take from this and that's one of them the fact that we can be cohesive and we can improve our 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 healthcare understanding really and that that's key to this that's really insightful tom thank you and you know during the pandemic we we saw some fantastic things arise such as the the NHS England piloted acute respiratory hubs where we were trying to get the the sort of diagnostics a little bit closer to the patient. How can we do this better? How can we improve the way that diagnostics are integrated into clinical settings and, and especially in the community, given your sphere of expertise? Oh, absolutely. Well, we need to realise the 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 solution that, that's, that's required. So the the target product profile, what's actually needed in each environment, in each pathway, 
um, to, to realise the problem. And once you've identified the problem, you can go looking for your solution. Um, for many years in healthcare, we've been led by the therapeutic advancements of the new medicines that are available or the new treatments or new surgeries. But now we have a real opportunity as healthcare set that presents itself now to to focus more on the pathway and that empowers the patient. So I would say the answer is pathways, pathways, pathways. Once we define those pathways through healthcare, we empower a patient and then we know which advancements, diagnostics, technologies, digital health assets, all of those things that can be used. And then not losing within this, because when we're talking about infection, we're not just talking about the patient, we're talking about um, a bug as well. So the microbe or the pathogen. And it's really important that we feed that back into the system to understand what they're doing as well. Um, so harnessing the technology in the right way can really help communities, but it must be appropriate for what people need and it must be appropriate for, for the system to improve. And, and, and I think our ability to look at um, systems critically, I think our, our ability to do that is improving dramatically. I think that our understanding of what's needed will, will, will arise sooner. But it certainly is a pressing issue. We can't wait for years and years when we've got solutions to get them there and actually helping patients and these pathways to actually uh, realise what we can do. Yeah, no, I, I love the fact that you focused on pathways there. And I, and I think this, I, I fully agree that this has to be a very strategic and algorithmic approach to the integration based upon the clinical problems we have. But, you know, I'd, I'd suggest it is about that. It's also about sort of redesigning the way we interact and collaborate between different facets of healthcare and different facets of medicine. Tom, as, as well as your clinical role as a GP, you also work in the pharmaceutical industry. What prompted that move for you? And do you agree that clinicians and industry need to work more closely together? Well, certainly. I think that anything that, that relates to patients and, and societal need, there is no room for um, for siloed working. We, we really must break these barriers down. And that comes in every form. So that could be in any particular healthcare institution um, and in any other industry for that matter. It, it, it never is useful. So I would say that things have changed hugely and um, being at the interface of that um, is, is, is an absolute um, privilege because it enables me to understand my uh, my medicine and healthcare in an entirely different way from a from a systems perspective from a global perspective and also really integrating what the patient needs now something that that, that really has been happening over the past few years is the is the advent of of the term real world evidence so what's actually going on on the ground we may have um, clinical trials that that are, that are controlled trials of of new medicines to demonstrate their benefit. However, what's really going on once these are released into the world? Well, actually, how do they integrate? And and that that will be also important for the technologies for the for the digital health um, approaches that we've talked about as well. So that conversation between all sectors. So we think healthcare, academia, industry. We we have to make sure that that's the case. And and this and this siloed working 
is 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 important to always break down and and i hope that we can continue to do that um, and as we do i think we'll realize even stronger approaches and and better outcomes for people fantastic i i fully agree and we will do what we can on this journey um let's talk about how industry is adapting to you know the needs of our public with respect to amr and and what's needed by industry to ensure that they can safeguard is that they can keep delivering AMR solutions and antimicrobials into the future. Yes, indeed. So this, I think, following on really from the, the what I talked about with real world evidence, understanding what's going on on the ground. So how, how does a patient actually interact with healthcare? How do they access it? Can they actually get through to the person that they need to, to get the right treatment? Um, and it's not just about the treatments, it's it's certainly about these pathways and these systems as well. And I think that industry's certainly shown um, great tenacity in understanding that over, over the years. Um, one of the, the key things to mention here is, is a momentous um, project that's that's happened now is is in july 2019 nhs england and nice launched this which is a antimicrobial subscription model and this is where the health system values new antimicrobials on their value given to healthcare rather than the volume of them that is used and that's critical to break down the the barriers and um and incentives around what treatments are used. And this really could be characterised in something called value-based healthcare. So what is the value that a new approach, um, a new technology, a new medicine brings to healthcare? And um, that that is, is currently running and the world has its eyes on the UK because it's looking to adapt that globally. And I think that will be really critical to how we go forward. So that certainly has been a, a success story with with industry and an integration with healthcare systems and patients and then bringing it to Pfizer as well so we have a good ecosystem of monitoring around um, antimicrobial resistance and also something called antimicrobial stewardship that is how do we behave with antimicrobials from the individual patient um, perspective but also in, in a wide company framework um, something called the AMR benchmark exists and um, pleased to report that Pfizer performed top within that stewardship criteria for there. So I would say working within this, I can see people's commitment. We work through the eyes of stewardship of how to get the appropriate treatment to the appropriate patient at the appropriate time. So that word appropriateness is so key within this. Um, other work that we've done in the UK team, because it's, it's not just me, I work with um, a wonderful team of, of medical colleagues and, and people from other um, uh, disciplines as well. Um, we've, we've worked with patient focus groups to really understand what's the, what's the problem at the heart of this antimicrobial resistance issue. Do people understand what's happening when they leave a hospital? Do they know that they had a resistant infection? Do they know what allergies they have to antibacterials or, or the list of antibacterials they've had in the past? Um, and that, that work has also been um, continued across other areas and fungal infections. A key part of our work at the moment is to, to look at other areas. So thinking about patients with cancer that are on chemotherapy and how they are at risk of infection um, more so than, than other patient groups. Um, so that's, that's some of the work that we're doing here at the moment. 
And then we also have um, initiatives that we do for World Antimicrobial Awareness Week and uh, World Sepsis Day. And then there's also the, the Science Museum um, exhibition that we had called Superbugs, The Fight for Our Lives. And we also have a, a schools programme that really brings these, these issues to the fore at the youngest age, because it's key that really we get this, this understanding in much earlier in our lives, because what we're doing here today is trying to really get the message out. But this is something we probably should have got to people a long time ago. So, yes, there's a lot going on and um, and, I, and, and it will continue. There's, there's lots in the pipeline. Yeah, we, we've got to get our next generation really invested in this, haven't we, as they have done, for example, around plastics in the ocean. You know, it, it is just so important. It's an existential problem. And our next generation are going to be the people who drive their adults now towards solutions, but who also become engaged in their own solutions in the future. And at the Sepsis Trust, we we work with school children with our Sepsis Savvy for Schools programme, which is, you know, a, it's intending to achieve a very similar thing. Yeah. Now, you, you represent Pfizer, don't you, to the Infection Management Coalition, which we at the UK Sepsis Trust sort of conceived of and, and brought together. But it's very much a coalition of equal voices. How important is an approach like this in combating harm from infection for humankind? Oh, well, I'm glad we finished sort of on this, uh, Ron, because I think it really distills many of the things I've talked about earlier. And one of those is pathways, realising technologies and bringing the patient's story to life and, and um, to the forefront of what's needed. Um, so I think it's essential. We've had a lot of um, talk around this problem. But, but action is difficult. There's been so many priorities for, for the whole world and for our society to attend to. But I think through the, the IMC, um, as we call it, um, this is how we bring things to the fore and actually get action um, on the table because without the action, we won't be able to realize these changes. We won't be able to realize more streamlined pathways for patients to, to go through when they have any kind of infection, whether that is a, you know, whether that's a, a cough and cold in, in community to um, a severe pneumonia in, in an intensive care unit that you may look after. So we must really think about this in a, in a similar way to how we did for cancer, really, that we think about it as this, this very big issue and how we can harness all of the technology, all of the, the huge knowledge and the motivations that we have across industry, across academia, learned societies, UK Sepsis Trust, and, and what, what we can do together to, to actually make these things a reality. And I'm pleased to report that things are going really well in that respect. We've um, we've had a good uptake. Uh, people have understood our our motivations on this, and I think that we we really can meet our aims there to to make things better for for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's really beginning to gain traction. And if people want to know more about the Infection Management Coalition, the website is theimc.org. Tom. I really want to thank you so much for your insights. That That is, I'm afraid, all we've got time for today. I'd just like to take a few moments to remind listeners that our clinical tools are available at our website, which is at sepsistrust.org, along with our CPD accredited e-learning for health professionals. And if you, whether you're a clinician or not, are keen to support our work in September around World Sepsis Day and Sepsis Awareness Month, 
you can get more information again via our website at sepsistrust.org. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.